0: Everyone, welcome to Basecamp, a Climbing Magazine podcast. Kevin Riley here. Today's episode features my interview with Mike Williams, a climber, guidebook author, former editor-in-chief at the now-defunct Deadpoint Magazine, and new business owner of Bridgebound Campers, a van outfitting company out of Fayetteville, West Virginia, aka the New River Gorge. During the interview, we deep dive into the process of outfitting a van and why van life has exploded over the last decade. As well as we talk about Mikey's obsession with projecting, whether it be authoring a guidebook, editing a magazine, outfitting a van, or projecting a 514 at the new. I really enjoyed speaking with Mike, not just because of his wealth of knowledge about the new or vans, but because he's a lifer in the industry that has preserved his passion for climbing and the lifestyle over multiple decades. With climbing culture changing so rapidly, it's easy to get jaded or crusty over the years. But Mike seems to truly enjoy what he's doing. Who knows, maybe it's his fascination with projecting that keeps the sport and his career path fresh and exciting. So I hope you enjoy the chat. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Access Fund. Did you know one in five climbing areas in the United States is threatened by an access issue? Whether it's private land, loss of development, public land managers over-regulating climbing, or climber impacts degrading the environment, the list of threats is long and constantly evolving. At Access Fund, they're on a mission to protect climbing access and the integrity of America's outdoor climbing areas. See how you can get involved at accessfund.org. Okay, here with Mike Williams. How are we doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. Good. So where are we? Right now.
1: We're in Fayetteville. Uh, we're right downtown across from Cathedral Cafe. Yep. We're in the Hard Rock Climbing Garage. Uh-huh. Yep.
0: And we're, this is also kind of the headquarters of your new business endeavor, Bridgebound Campers, correct? Yes, yes. So yep. how, how long have you been in this space?
1: Uh, I've only been here a couple months. Okay. Um, back in early summer, probably came in here, and, um, and yeah, not too long.
0: Yeah. So what made you want to work on vans? And uh, it, it just kind this. of
1: evolved. And, you know, I think, uh, well, two of my passions have been rock climbing and living in a van. Uh-huh. That's just how uh, the past 20 years of my life have been. You know, so you
0: started living in a van 20 years ago?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much. I graduated college in 2001 and then didn't pay rent for about eight years after mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And
0: why did you move into a van? Did you have like a friend that was doing it? I mean, was it well, just the, out of necessity?
1: I mean, climbers have been living in vans since the sixties and seventies. Sure. <laughs> it's kind of the way of life. Um, you know, it's, this whole van life movement thing is, it's kind of blown up recently, but it's not new. Yeah. I mean, this all goes back to the Volkswagen Westphalia uh-huh. and, you know, just the lifestyle of early climbers and, Joshua Tree and, and traveling back and forth from Yosemite to Colorado and other places to go rock climbing.
0: I think one of the first like built out vans that I ever saw was Kurt Smith's van Mm -hmm. here at the the rendezvous. Yeah. Maybe like 10 years ago.
1: Sweet van. He
0: had like disco (laughs) lights on it. I think I remember. I mean, it was a crazy van. Yeah. (laughs) So what was your first van like?
1: Uh, it was Volkswagen. It was. Yeah. So I, I um, just out of college, I was living in the back of a pickup truck, which wasn't very
0: do like uh, the platform comfortable.
1: Yeah, yeah. I built out a little platform, which is kind of like the the base level climber rig. That's like, where <laughs> I started. I yeah. had it for ten years. Yeah. So you put a platform over the wheel wells and, uh-huh. and a camper shell top, you know, to keep the rain off. And um, my buddy Chris Faulkner and I, uh, it would have been the fall of two thousand one. We slept in that same bed together and drove <laughs> all the way to Yosemite and climbed and we're out for three or four months. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: so when did you upgrade to a van after that truck?
1: Uh, as, as soon as possible. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted <laughs> I mean, to be able to sit up.
0: Yeah, it was great.
1: I don't know. I probably had that truck a year or two. And then, um, then yeah, I just started looking at vans, uh, and settled on the Volkswagen because it was just perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're great little vans. It was an 86, um, Volkswagen, West Folly. I had the full camper package with pop top and everything, and I loved it. Yeah. And it was perfect for my lifestyle for the next, gosh, probably five years. You uh-huh. know? And I was in that van living at Rogers Campground, guiding here in the summer, um, and then traveling out west in the winter.
0: When did you, because last time I saw you was maybe like two, three years ago, and you had a Sprinter van and you were selling it. Yep. So you built that van out and then you built out other vans after that?
1: Yeah. So that was the first van that I built out was the Sprinter. Um, and, you know, the reason that I got rid of the West Folly was because it just kept breaking down. And mm-hmm. that's the problem everybody has with them these days. Sure. They're just old. They don't make them anymore. So, yeah, at that time, I just uh, I bought the short uh, 118-inch wheelbase Sprinter um, tiny little guy and built it out and did a pretty good job. I mean, Mm -hmm. I look back at it now and I'm like, ah, that was kind of janky, but, (laughs) but it was great. I mean, I had a stove and a fridge and a sink and a bed and a little space heater. It had everything we needed. Uh And, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome.
0: But then you kind of just like evolved past that you, you no longer wanted to live in a van or, I mean, what, what was the catalyst for you selling that van and Oh, well, the, I
1: mean, the obvious catalyst is that I had a child. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which it was time for that. And yeah. then, yeah, it only had two seats, it had mm-hmm. two seatbelts. And when you become a family of three, you yeah. need a vehicle with three seatbelts in it. So it was also getting old. It had over 200,000 miles on it, and it was time for it to go. So now I travel when we travel, which is less often now, but um, I've got a Tacoma pickup truck with a four wheel camper shell in the back. Nice. And that's perfect for my lifestyle now. We travel uh-huh. less, so I can take the camper out, leave it at home. It's my daily driver, but you still put it in and do the long trips if you need uh-huh. to. It's not as comfortable as a van. No, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So, you know, you didn't, you know, move into a new van, but you started this company. Do you really enjoy the process of building out vans? I mean, why take this, you know, step of actually creating a company around it?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it... it like I said before, it just kind of evolved, um, to this point, but I was, um, a good friend Brooks had a van and he was traveling to Europe for the summer to tour. He's a, a stadium rigger. He was touring with Bjork, I think that year. Okay. Or no, that was Phoenix. He was touring with Phoenix. Okay. And uh, he was going to be gone for a long <laughs> a great time. Band. He, he, yeah. He had a, he had a van and he was like, Hey man, just, I know you've done this stuff before to your van, put in a fan and electrical system and and I did that. And then shortly after that, um, uh, another girl in town, this good friend, Alex Ritchie, she came to me and she had a Chevy Express and I did a full build out on that. And I did the best job I could out uh-huh. of my home garage. So yeah. this was like I bought a couple new tools. I finally had a table saw. Yeah. And, uh, and I did a pretty good job. You know, I still and I look back at that and there's a lot of improvements that I've made since then in just mm-hmm. a short time. The learning curve is is really fast right now because i'm still relatively new so um but i'm getting to the point where i'm like honing in on my a fast and efficient and quality way to do things can
0: you take me through some of that like what are some of the things that you've learned through building out a number of vans oh gosh. what are some mistakes you've made that you want to make again and yeah. some decisions that you now gravitate towards
1: i i think one of one of the one of the things i'm good at with this whole Business is the design end of it, because I've got so much experience living in a van. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot of people that come to me and they're like, "Hey, I want to do this," and and you know, I want. Well, a lot of folks bring me a small van and say, "I want four seatbelts and sleeping <laughs> yeah. for four, and uh, you know, a kitchen, and I got to store my kayaks and my mountain bikes." And you're like, "Okay, hold on, back up. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're still dealing with a twelve by six foot space here, so there's not you can't do all that." But as far as design, like you know. I sit down in every van and with every floor plan and, and just down to details of like, you know, which way should this door open and how should this, where should this drawer go? Is my knee going to be in the way when I'm sitting here? Mm -hmm. Like all those things that, um, that you may not notice with the end product when you just look at it, but as you go to live in it, then you're like, wow, this is really ergonomic and, and everything is just designed perfectly. That's one of the things that I'm, I'm, pretty happy about with each uh-huh. van and i notice when i make a mistake you know like, yeah i'm like oh this light should have been like you know four feet over here so that it can shine down inside this cabinet a little better and you're like ah, yeah.
0: is it nerve-wracking working on the vans i mean working on someone else's vehicle it is yeah because you, want, you want to make people happy
1: for sure. sure and the other thing is when you're taking your jigsaw to the side of a a sheet metal panel on a brand new you know $30,000 vehicle. Yeah. You're like, okay, measure twice, pick yeah. up the saw, put it down, measure again. <laughs> and go through that process for uh for quite a while because you don't want to yeah, you don't want to mess that up.
0: Mm-hmm. Have there been any mess-ups that have kept you up late at night? So far,
1: nothing that can't be corrected. Okay. (laughs) We'll we'll, knock knock on on wood wood for that one. Yeah, and that's just part of taking your time, you know? Sure. And and with the important stuff when you're cutting holes in the van, that irreversible stuff, you do it right the first time.
0: What's your favorite part of the process? Is it the designing? Is it the build out? Is it seeing a completed product?
1: Yeah, I actually enjoy each stage of it. And I think that's kind of, uh, yeah, that's kind of my favorite thing about it is that you transition from stage to stage you know like the first thing you do might be to put down the floor and that's kind of boring but then you got a day or two of insulation and that that's kind of fun uh-huh you know and then so can
0: we talk about insulation for a second here? That's, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the, the part that drove me nuts because i heard you know a dozen different ways that you could do insulation, yeah. and i ended up going with the recycled denim and i did like a half inch of sound dampening board Mm-hmm. with some luon yep. on top of that. You know, I guess it's an okay situation for out west. Out here, it might not do as well because of the mold and right, yeah, you know, denim, stuff like that. It's going
1: to hold water if you ever get condensation against your...
0: Exactly. Vegas, so, it doesn't matter. That's, where, I, that's <laughs> where I'm most... You know, I'm in Vegas <laughs> and Colorado, so I don't yeah. have to worry about it too much. But, you know, what's your preference on insulation?
1: Well, yeah, like you said, we're, we're, we're alluding to is that insulation in a van is like the most debated topic in van building forums, <laughs> Definitely. everybody's got their own idea of what, what's best. And, uh, and with a lot of those conversations, the one thing that people don't really take into consideration is cost. Okay. You know, you hear all these people like, Oh, well this 3M Thinsulate is the mm-hmm. best. And, you, and you're like, okay, yeah, it is the best, but the materials are like $700 for my van. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so what I'm doing right now is kind of the standard, um, is that, um, I'm using uh, foam board insulation. So okay. polystyrene foam board with mm-hmm. spray foam around the edges. So mm. um, so yeah, I'll just cut cut those boards to fit. I've got three quarter board on the ceiling because that's about as thick as the ribs are. Um, and then I do an inch on the walls and a, um, a half inch of uh, polyiso on the floor. Mm-hmm. And then around all the edges, you you got the spray foam in there and fill some of the gaps. And then the cavities, the larger cavities in the pillars, I, f- I do fill with the 3M Okay. So I use that really quality product sparingly because mm-hmm. it's expensive. Um, but yeah, it does a good job, a decent job with the sound dampening. It could be better, mm-hmm. um, but it's totally waterproof. Yeah. You know, it's like you could water beads up on it, so you're never gonna have problems with that. And being in the East, that's a good thing. Yeah. You really need definitely. to think about that out here. Um, but I've seen people use wool, you know, you can have the wool in there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of messy, but once you get it behind the walls, it's You're okay. not dealing with it yeah. as
0: much. What about power and like solar and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, it kind of just depends on what um, what people want. Like the, the standard system that I put in is, um, well, I'm using AGM batteries. Uh-huh. Um, and usually 200 watts of solar on the roof, 200 amp hours of battery power. This one's got 300 amp hours because um, you wanted a, a bit bigger inverter. Um, yeah, and then it charges three ways. You can charge it from the shore power port on the outside, the uh, 120 volt or the solar charges it at all times, and then it charges when you're driving. Mm-hmm. So it's got an isolator, so that it's an isolated system.
0: When people are first looking to purchase a van, should people be thinking Mercedes, Dodge, You know, like, what do you usually suggest people look at?
1: I mean, that's kind of the great debate right now, too. I I will say I think that the Sprinters are way overrated right now Mm -hmm. as far as cost. Yeah. Again, we're coming back to like like I was talking about with the installation. It's like, yeah, you know, what is the best van? It's like, okay, you know, the Sprinter, it's a Mercedes. It's pretty cool, but it's um, really expensive. And not just the initial cost, but the maintenance on it. Like sure. I mean, oil change can be 200 bucks, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, if you take it to the dealer. And it's just constant upkeep. And I think that people don't realize, you know, they've got this reputation. Oh, it's got a diesel engine. It's going to run half a million miles. And they just don't. They're not that much better than than other vehicles. Okay. In my opinion. Yeah. I mean, my Sprinter van broke down all the time. And when it broke (laughs) down, okay, when the West West Folia broke down, it would cost me 20 bucks at AutoZone to put in a new fuel pump or something. When the Sprinter broke broke down, 500 bucks. Didn't matter what it was. It could Uh be, you know, EGR valve. Oh, that's a common problem. You look on the forum. Oh, that's a common problem there. You know, it's like, well, what about the turbo resonator eliminator? Oh yes. That's a common problem. Everybody has to replace that. You know, and it's like over and over drive shaft, uh, the U joints went out. Oh, you have to replace the whole drive shaft $5,000, like (laughs) stuff like that. Right. So, (laughs) so it just, uh, and it's not to say that the other vans are, um, are immune from that either. But uh-huh. right now I'm kind of psyched on the ProMaster. Okay. And there's. quite What about a few- the
0: axle? Do you lose any clearance?
1: It's on the, the rear axle. No, the um, you don't. You don't lose a lot. It's, people see that when you're driving behind a ProMaster. No, that's
0: why I got talked out of the ProMaster. It looks
1: kind of silly. It's got this long axle that goes across. It's only one inch, one inch lower than the Sprinter's um differential case. Okay. So one inch is like you know, the width of a thumbnail, it's uh-huh. like not that much, it, um, not that much lower. Granted, it does go all the way across. So you can't straddle rocks the same way. But I think if you want to drive off road, you're better off in a pro master. Mm. It's front wheel drive. So you can, oh. it's like, for example, the mother hill, my sprinter, it was terrifying going up the Motherlode hill. hill. Uh, this is at the red river gorge. There's this notorious hill coming out of the mother that people epic on all the time. It's just super steep and rutted and gravelly. And, uh, there's always a tow truck getting somebody out, but yeah, so that's a good example. My West Folly would cruise up that hill. Sprinter was just terrifying. ProMaster would cruise right up its front wheel drive. Um, so that's, that's one nice thing about it. If it snows or if you're off road, you can have a little bit better traction. It's got a lower step in height. The ProMaster does. Interesting. It doesn't have the drive shaft because it's front wheel drive. Okay. So they're able to lower the floor Mm. uh, about six inches, you know, lower than even where the cab sits. So that brings the overall height of the vehicle down a little bit too. And instead of taking two steps in, you take one step in. So that's kind of nice, the lower step in height. It's got the tightest turning radius of all the vans. So you can zip around gas pumps and stuff and pull in parking spots really easily. Yeah. But most importantly is the width. So it's six foot seven wide from panel to panel in the back, which allows most people to put a bed sideways, which really, opens up your floor plan options mm-hmm. you know by having your bed not run north to south but east to west in the back so yeah so those are some of the reasons i don't think the pro master is a better van than a sprinter uh-huh. i don't think it's better than the transit van these are all like they all have pros and cons and um have I you
0: built w- out any of the transits
1: i haven't messed with the transit okay. yet nope yeah i've been in one and um you know i have a friend that built one out and we have looked through it and uh they're cool they're really cool it's a nice van they're all yeah. nice fans they all, pro- yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're all kind of the same, but yeah, they are, it's, it is a competitive field and it's hard to know, mm-hmm. know which one to go with. The, the first van I built um, as this company, I bought it myself to kind of build a demo van to mm-hmm. show the quality of my work and then I would sell that van and I chose the Promaster for those reasons that, uh, you know, it had that sideways bed in the back. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal, you know, and you can all of a sudden have a much bigger open living area for a very small van.
0: What is a typical build out cost? I know it can range depending on the different components and all that, but
1: yeah. So yeah, it's hard to say typical because, um, you could literally throw a mattress on the floor of a van as sure. camp stove and have a camper van. You could easily drop a hundred thousand into a van. Like, uh-huh. like, uh, you mentioned your friends at Titans vans. Yeah. I'm sure those vans are a hundred thousand. Yeah.
0: He's charging about, you know, high eighties.
1: Yeah. And that, but that's with the van, right?
0: That's with the van, yeah. Right. Usually, so, like the van is like 40, and then right. you're looking at another 40 to 60 for the build out.
1: Yep, yeah, and that's pretty standard in the industry right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, sportsmobile, you're looking at closer to 80. Um, van specialties or outside van up in Oregon, those are hundred thousand uh-huh. dollars. I mean, maybe even just for the build, not the van. Yeah. <laughs> um, so right now, these vans that I'm building, right around 20. Okay. Right around twenty thousand. So, I. I think that uh being here in West Virginia, I can still do a really good job, use really quality parts and materials and come in at a way better price than sure. than um what folks out West. You, know, you live in Boulder, they pay rent in their shop in Boulder, you know, mm-hmm. and that's really expensive. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> notice that first van
0: that you I think you did like a little video on it. Yeah. And it was about $20,000 cheaper than the vans over at Titan. I, you know, you can't really compare that. It's not apples to apples, but at the same time I was just thinking, yeah, I bet he can do it way cheaper than being out of Boulder or one of those expensive cities.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is, is I'm doing this by myself right now. I I have, you know, really low overhead costs and I don't have to pay myself as much because I, you know, I don't have employees. So Mm -hmm. it's just me in here. And, um,
0: you think you'll keep it that way? I mean, it's a lot I want of work, to. right? You do. <laughs> I want to. I, I want uh,
1: it, to. It really complicates things to add employees into a business. Just as far as the business and like I, what I foresee happening is that as we talked about before, this is a huge industry. I could make this business grow very quickly. Mm-hmm. And before I know it, like within a year, I could find myself sitting at a desk all day yeah. and not cutting wood. And I just want to be cutting wood. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of these things where I want to keep doing what I'm doing um, and being the actual one in charge of hands-on stuff. But you know, you start adding in employees and now it's like you've got all this workers comp you got to deal with. and. Mm-hmm all this uh, taxes and other things that need to be dealt with and emails because now you're working on two vans at the same time and you've got to sure. keep up with ordering parts. It's huge. Like keeping the parts in stock so that you're a step ahead. If you mm-hmm. run out of what you need and you have to wait a week for a part to come in, that's a huge loss. Yeah. Of income. So.
0: And how's yeah. business been? I mean, you know, van life has exploded dramatically in the last few years. It seems like everybody wants to live the van life. Have you seen a lot of people kind of uh, coming to you looking for build outs? Are you surprised by the amount of demand?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Short answer. Yeah. 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 I mean, going into this, I kind of knew, I mean, if you go to any parking lot, climbing parking lot, you can notice if you've been climbing that's for insane. five, 10 years, if you show up at any climbing parking lot now, there's just like vans everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> the yeah. guy that I'm working on, um, this van right here that's sitting here, is uh this guy is uh he works at a climbing gym in california and he was telling me he showed me a picture of the uh parking lot outside uh i believe it's planet granite okay i think so yeah one of those big climbing gyms near san sure. francisco he points out all these vans he says there's a dozen vans out here sprinters they're all like eighty thousand dollar vans yeah these are people that live in their van they let them live in the climbing gym parking lot uh-huh they take showers in the gym sure they go to work at google <laughs> all day long. They make San Francisco money. Money, Yeah. And then they live in a van because you can't afford to live out there. People mm-hmm. can't afford to That's live. That's interesting. An apartment could be $2,500 yeah. a month, you know, for a one bedroom apartment. Um, and so then, you know, they're like with San Francisco money, they're looking at like, okay, it's an $80,000 van. That's cheap, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> compared to what their, uh, housing costs are out there so yeah so this first van i'm working on is from california you know Uh it's like crazy i'm here in west virginia and i was i knew that i i had an idea that i was going to be able to do this that it Uh was going to be successful but i was nervous about it and immediately i was just overwhelmed like i've got work backed up i have four vans in line and i'm backed up into summer 2019 sure you have
0: a buddy who works over at titan vans Mm -hmm. out of boulder cool Um, and they're just backed up, they're slammed and they're just like you, you know, they just started like six months ago or maybe a little bit, uh, longer than that, but just the amount of demand and, you know, they're doing vans from Texas, you know, people Mm -hmm. are coming from all over the country to get these build outs and they want them right away yeah you know do you wonder why I mean you kind of alluded to it you know the cost of living you know I see it a lot in Boulder a lot of people living out of their vans because they can't afford to live in Boulder but do you think there's like other reasons why van life has gotten so popular I mean Uh, do you think it's maybe like the Alex Honnold effect people seeing Honnold living out of his van
1: Yeah. I mean, that's been going on for a long time. We just have seen the growth of the climbing industry and just the outdoor recreation industry. I mean, we've seen that grow exponentially in the past 10 years. Um, so certainly there's going to be more climbers that want to live that lifestyle.
0: Sometimes I wonder if it's also like the gig economy, you know, like so many climbers also like want to be like free Freelance writers photographers videographers and even beyond just like the climbing industry like all like kind of outdoor Lifestyle industries people want to be able to travel and work, right? And so I I wonder if that is like one of the big reasons why people are living on other vans
1: Yeah, I mean that's one of the one of the things is that, you know There's a lot more talk about like follow your dreams you live your passion You Uh know, that's that's so much more prevalent now than it was 20 years ago and so, yeah, it's a way for people to do that. You know, you, if you follow anything on Instagram, you're going to see that picture with the back doors of the van open and there's like a pretty <laughs> girl sitting there drinking coffee. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's cliched, but it's like you see it and you're like, yeah, I want that. I want uh-huh. to live like that. For sure. <laughs> it looks great. I definitely think Instagram has
0: a, played a big part in it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the whole van the hashtag. of it. Totally, totally. So you used to be the editor-in-chief. Is that correct? Over at Deadpoint? Yeah, how did I don't you? know what the chief means, but yeah. <laughs> I was the editor over at Point. <laughs> Yeah. Point. Um, how did you get involved with Deadpoint? Were you a journalist? Did you study journalism and English in school? or
1: No, definitely not.
0: How did that all
1: uh, unravel? Uh, man, my whole life's kind of been like that. I don't know how I ended up building <laughs> vans either. But I, I, um, that started, you know, I, I was. I was just chasing my passion of rock climbing. Yeah. And so I ended up living up here. Um, I was in the right place at the right time, and this area was in dire need of a new guidebook, and uh, which you also wrote, which I also wrote. Yep, the guidebook for the New River Gorge in 2008 was the first time it came out, and we're going into a third edition now. Nice, but um, but yeah, started with that. I was in the right place at the right time, and I, you know, I was an okay writer in college, but I didn't study journalism or writing. Um, and that fell into my lap and I did that. And then all of a sudden people thought I was a writer because I wrote a book, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so my next door neighbor was Matt Stark. He lived right behind us uh-huh. and he started Deadpoint. He was running that by himself for a while. And it got to the point where they expanded and grew enough to hire an editor and sure enough yeah. there was a writer. I'm making quotation marks with my hands, uh, <laughs> a writer right next door. And he said, yeah, you want to work for Deadpoint?" I said, sure. That sounds great.
0: Did you enjoy the experience? Yeah, actually, I actually mean, I really like really that. Everyone wants to be, you know, a magazine writer in the climbing industry, but it's actually a ton of work. I don't think a lot of people realize how much work is involved yeah, in putting it was out a ton an of work. issue. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you also were responsible for the website, which you guys had a ton of online content at the time.
1: Yeah, I was mostly responsible. I mean, we we started with, a, um, let's see, bi-monthly. So every, every two months we had an issue and then it eventually went to quarterly, um, later on. But the, our magazine was quite a bit smaller than like with climbing magazine or rock and ice. It was, you know, it's one step up from a pamphlet is what it was. We'd, you know, have maybe 60 pages and some of our larger issues, we got to where they were pretty big and, and it was quite a bit of content and it was good content considering Mm -hmm. that it was a free magazine and the whole the business plan there was that it was just based on advertising we gave them away for free in climbing gyms and gear shops yeah. so it was a different it was a fresh idea for the climbing did
0: world. you see rock and ice has come out with a new magazine gym I did climber see that. gym yeah. climber yeah same same idea
1: yeah yeah but um <laughs> but yeah it was uh it was fun towards the end there um i did feel a little bit overwhelmed just being the only person you know running the website and it gets a little stale after a while when you're just every day like Oh, this kid sent a five fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> you're rewriting like, the same article yeah, with different yeah, names. Exactly, and, it, and you know, at some point, you're like, "Well, we kind of need to evolve," and I, I think um, I think we didn't evolve fast enough with the uh, with the changes in the climbing industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the fact that when we started with that magazine, it was like Facebook Facebook was like how you generated traffic in your website, yeah. and by the end, just four or five years later, it's like, man, nobody even looks at Facebook anymore. And I'm still mm-hmm. doing this and I'm kind of left behind and I don't even know what Instagram is. And now that's where everybody, <laughs> everybody is. Everybody,
0: yeah. And I realized
1: like, wait a second, man, I thought I was like this young, hip guy that works for this like hip skater style magazine. <laughs> guess what, man? You just got old and you don't know what's going on.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So tell me about the guidebooks. Is there a lot of route development around here at the new?
1: There's not a ton. Okay. You know, it was. Um, I think we're kind of over the hill in that sense. There's uh-huh. certainly in the past, maybe even 10 years ago, there were still quite a few routes going up. And we still find new stuff. And there's, um, there are still people bolting some things on Summersville Lake and the meadow mostly. Okay. But we've got really strict restrictions here in the gorge. You have to get a permit if you want to bolt something. And I think over the past 10 years of people getting permits to bolt in the gorge, I think I'm the only one along with Pat and Porter applied for one route. Uh And so it's seen maybe like maybe seven new bolted routes in 10 years. Okay. So what
0: are you doing with these new additions? Are you just updating photos, maps? What do you, you know, what are the new additions including?
1: Well, the new river book has, has been largely unchanged. It's, um, it's, you know, we might get thirty new routes in there. We're going to add a new crag this time. There's um, about, gosh, fifty new routes uh, upstream of Cotton Top, if you know where that is. Okay. You know Cotton Top yeah, Crag yeah. is down on the dries, kind of the lower New River area. Um, so that's one new crag that's going in. It's mostly <laughs> it's mostly unchanged uh, for the New River Gorge, and most of the development and changes have been at the meadow and the lake. But that said, this going into the third edition, I'm going to do a huge rewrite on a lot of things. I mean, 10 years have gone by when we, when we went to the second edition, it was basically a reprint. I okay. And that was like lot.
0: 2013 or something. Sounds like that. about right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It sounds pretty close. Um, so yeah, it was basically a reprint. We didn't add a whole lot, just change out the pictures and things like that. And I, I feel like 10 years has gone by. I've done a lot more roots, have a lot uh-huh. more knowledge. And, um, I look back at that book, you know, and I'm, can make it better, you know. Yeah. So we're gonna do a lot more changes and really change the layout and make it look more modern, instead of just reprinting again a book from a decade ago that has a stale look to it now.
0: Do you enjoy the process of putting together the guidebook? I mean, it just seems like there's a ton of work involved in that.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I do enjoy that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, and it's it's funny. Like I guess all this stuff is related in a sense, right? It's like rock climbing building vans, working on guidebooks. For me, rock climbing has always been kind of like this, a more of a project style route climber. I like to try to find a hard route that's at my limit and spend like months trying to do Mm -hmm. it. And uh, not everybody's like that with rock climbing. Everybody kind of does different things. And that's always been the aspect that's attracted me. This huge daunting project that I can't do. And then making these small steps towards eventually being able to do it and finally completing the project. And the same thing with guidebooks, the same uh-huh. thing with vans. You walk in the van for the first time when it's blank and you're just like, whoa.
0: It, totally overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been there. Totally <laughs> I've overwhelming. Been there.
1: And then you break it down, small chunks, and get little things done and um, and just keep moving along. So
0: speaking cool. of projects, what have been some of your most memorable climbing projects?
1: Uh here at the gorge? Is
0: anywhere. I mean, yeah, let's start with the gorge and then maybe we can move elsewhere, but
1: uh yeah, I mean gosh, I don't know, man. They certainly picket fence was the first like big project that I, that I had, I, I had progressed really quickly to that point where I climbed mango tango in, uh, 2007.
0: Can you give me some grades here for the, yeah, routes mango tango 14 a. Okay. And that was,
1: um, at the time, you know, it was still, I think only two, three, three people had done it since uh-huh. Scott Franklin, 1989, 88, Scott Franklin, 88. So big time climber, 88 yeah. Scott Franklin, best in America. That was, uh, That's cool that that was here. Uh Joel Brady did it in 2001. I think Matt Bosley did it 2003. So it still had an aura about it is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like a lot of people were running train on it. And I was able to do that uh, in pretty much a year, you know, like in a season. I started working on it maybe in the spring and then came back to it in the fall and and did it. So my confidence was high. I started working on picket fence, which was a step harder for me. Uh Uh-huh. Four years later, I still wasn't (laughs) clipping the chains on it. So so that certainly was the biggest project I had. But they've all been real special, you know? And At the time, it's like when I was in that mentality of being really psyched on climbing, it's like the greatest thing in your world. Yeah totally all-encompassing. I mean, when I was working on Mango Tango, I'd wake up and eat mango yogurt every morning. (laughs) It's
0: like, you know, and... Just get your your mind in the right mind frame. Yeah, we were
1: living in this (laughs) attic apartment with no running water, Um, Alyssa and I were. And seriously, we'd sit there and and watch... (laughs) the joel brady climbing mango tango video uh-huh. and eat mango yogurt and just be totally <laughs> and i mean like every day and his head is swelling right now if he's listening to this because he loves he loves that story i've told him yeah. before. <laughs> yeah but every one of those projects for the next you know seven years after that is like this is the best one ever <laughs>
0: sure yeah the best project's the one you're working on yeah, right
1: yeah Yeah. And I think, yeah, I I was always the person to say that like, no man, this, this one though, this one is really (laughs) the one. This is the coolest thing that's, that's out there. And, uh, And then I'd find something cooler every time.
0: So what's really inspiring you these days? What gets you psyched?
1: Yeah. But right now it's this man. The van. Yeah. I've been, uh, totally just all encompassing. Do
0: you get time to still go out and climb and I haven't do been stuff
1: all summer and it really, really like the summertime here. I don't get too excited to climb. Sure. That way. It's, it's hot and can't hold on to small holds. What's um, the
0: peak season here then? What's like the, uh, yeah, for you, locals. it used to be
1: October Yeah. and now November it's kind of the new October. And, uh, <laughs> even December is really, can be really good. So November, okay. December, and then probably like March.
0: Do the cliffs stay relatively dry in the winter? Or do they seep a lot?
1: It stays really dry in it the winter. It does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Cause, um, the air is a lot drier, you know? Yeah. The cliffs are way wetter in the summer. If it rains mm-hmm. and the humidity, every, everything, even if it's not visibly wet, it's just manky. Yeah. There's always humidity on the rock. And in the winter, it's like, it could be raining. Rain stops. Rocks perfectly dry. Uh-huh. So, yeah, winter for me is the season here.
0: Okay, sure. cool. Yeah. Where are you from originally?
1: I was born in Virginia, um, but we moved around a lot. My dad was in the Navy, so I was okay. born in Newport News, down in the Virginia Beach area. What'd your mom do? Um, she was a mom. Okay, yeah, stay at home mom. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for, um, for for as long as long as we were growing up. Uh huh. Yeah.
0: So you moved around a lot. We
1: moved around a lot. My dad worked for Westinghouse. Uh, she was corporation, Mm -hmm. nuclear services division. So we moved uh, Pittsburgh, California, South Carolina, back to Pittsburgh, Uh back to South Carolina. And at that point I was out of the house.
0: (laughs) And how did you start climbing? Who introduced you to rock climbing?
1: Yeah, I'm one of those people, I'm going to use that cliched answer, but like I, I just always feel like I was a climber. And okay. I really don't even remember when I started or how I started. I just remember, like climbing
0: trees and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, I remember like being
1: that. a kid climbing the hallways of my house uh-huh. and climbing trees in the backyard. I got a piece of rope at Home Depot and tied it to a 2 by 4 and I'd throw it through the crook of the tree and scamper uh-huh. up there. Um, I think in middle school I ended up with a harness we learned to repel my friends mm-hmm. and I cool and then um, So when I chose college I chose a, a college that was close to real rock and I went to Brevard College And that's where I really started. Okay. climbing. Okay North near, near Carolina. Asheville. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful area of the country Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you end up here in Fayetteville? the new river gorge it
1: was just too slabby in north carolina <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great climbing but um
0: so you had taken some climbing trips here and you, yeah for sure yeah and you just uh, wanted to live the lifestyle yeah i
1: started coming up here from college and and um getting pumped and driving back to, to North Carolina, just like unable to hold the steering wheel, just thinking Mm -hmm. this is so awesome, (laughs) so much better. You can actually fall because in North Carolina, you can't can't fall. fall. (laughs) You just immediately die. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) That is so true. So yeah, I got, I got psyched on sport climbing, which there Uh is none in North Carolina and, um, being able to come here and take falls on bolts and, and get stronger. was really cool. Yeah. So then, yeah, then I got. And when uh, you, when
0: was that? Like, what year did you move here?
1: That was so. I graduated college in 2001, and then I was working. I majored in uh, wilderness leadership and experiential education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after college, I was working as a um, wilderness therapy. <clears throat> type Mm -hmm. hoods in the woods. Taking troubled teens. Yeah. At risk youth. Um, we do, I worked for a program called Seuss mostly, Mm -hmm. and that was in Black Mountain, North Carolina. I've
0: heard that's a hard job. It's super hard.
1: Yeah. It's nice because you get two weeks in the field with the kids, uh, full time, you know, you sleep with them, you know, overnight and then, and then, uh, two weeks off to go Mm -hmm. on climbing trips. And at the time I thought that was great because you had two weeks to go on climbing trips, but after a few years, that was, uh, man, it wears you down just being it's a rough it's rough those kids are rough yeah and it's a good job it's rewarding but at the same time it's it's kind of the opposite of rewarding it's just like wears you down Mm -hmm. you're just giving you're just giving yourself completely disappears for that two weeks sure and you're just completely trying to work with these kids (laughs) and they're not appreciative or uh, a lot of the times so yeah it's, it's challenging
0: so things changed here in Fayetteville since you first moved here or has it stayed relatively the same?
1: It does kind of stay the same. <laughs> it seems like it has. Yeah. Uh, nothing's changed a whole lot. We got some, you know, cool restaurants and yeah. things, have, things have gotten, uh, you know, more people climb here now.
0: I'm surprised cool. not more people don't move here, though. It, there's nothing so, to do. There's nothing there's no to do jobs. in the, in the <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to let you get back to work. I know you got a lot to do. Great. But thank you. And actually, before I let you go, if people are interested in checking out your work and, you know, what you got going on here, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, so the website is called Bridge Bound Campers, like you're heading towards the bridge at the New River Gorsh. Um And uh, it's got all my contact info on there. You can shoot me an email. It's... Uh, campers at gmail but i'd really love it if you just gave me a call and talked about vance because i like talking to people and nobody calls anymore it's like yeah. i get text messages and emails and i send back please call me call Tomorrow me yeah so you don't I'm have returned. to spend an, <laughs> spend an hour writing an email yeah, exactly. which you could
0: say in about five minutes
1: yeah so give me a call my phone is on that website
0: all right well thank you so much mike appreciate right. it thank you all right, that's the conclusion of the show. I want to thank Mike Williams for having me to his shop over there in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Today's theme music was provided by Small Houses at smallhouses.band. And if you've not done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and see you at the next Basecamp. Camp.